And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, uh, it is uh, technically speaking Tuesday, which means uh, we've got a few things to get into. And our report out on our website today is... Well, if everybody sees it, is it still a bubble? So we're going to talk about that this morning, right? Kind of an interesting uh, piece of commentary that was out recently on Market Watch. So I decided to dig into it just a little bit. Uh, that article on our website this morning <clears throat> as well. So uh, get by there. Of course, you know, while you're there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on our newsletter link for last weekend's newsletter, uh, where we talk about the markets, positioning, kind of what we're seeing in the overall market, kind of analyzing the risk. The 401k plan manager inside that newsletter as well to help you manage your 401k plan better. And uh, we have a new and exciting uh, website coming here soon. Uh, we're doing a complete revamp for our website. So we're moving some things around to make them more accessible for you, but also bringing you everything from financial planning tools to a whole variety of things. So keep a watch on realinvestmentadvice.com. Lots of stuff coming your way. And uh, it's, a, it's a year of innovation, 2020, 2021. I like that. A year of innovation. It's a year of innovation. We're, we're innovating a new website. Mm-hmm. We're updating and, and upgrading and... Uh, our subscriber site. So there's a whole bunch of new tools for you there. And of course, we're going to have a whole new studio here to be doing all kinds of new podcasts and videos. And it's going to be awesome. How innovative. It's going to be very innovative. Yes. It's going to be very tiring. But it'll be very <laughs> well, innovative. that? <laughs> exactly. Ain't nothing for high kickers. Exactly. All right. Uh, look, lots of stuff to get into this morning. Uh, yesterday, the market sold off. And it's, it's kind of interesting because when you see what's kind of going on in the markets, I, I mentioned yesterday morning that our sell signal on the S&P was very close to crossing. It didn't occur, obviously, because we sold off yesterday. Um, money flows still remain positive, but again, you know, they are weakening. So this is something to at least pay attention to here temporarily. Because this weakening of money flows, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that the selling that's been going on, really, I, I should say this consolidation that's been going on. And this is one thing we talked about in the newsletter this weekend is that we had this breakout of this consolidation on Friday. On, and we said, well, that's good. You know, that's good. That suggests that we'll probably get a turn up in our money flows here, kind of start this next leg higher. But, you know, what we had said was, is that, the, you know, this kind of structure of the market market still so you know has got price pressures on it suppressing prices and yesterday we fell right back down into that consolidation range so despite the fact that the market's really gone nowhere now for the last really three four weeks um, we've just really kind of consolidated this advance and and that's been during the entire process of this money flow sell signal I mean I know we talk about this like every day <laughs> so it's like nope just haven't really gone anywhere yet and that's really been kind of the structure of the markets but yesterday I made this comment uh, in particular about the NASDAQ because this is something that's kind of been going on here and I got quite a few emails kind of following that discussion yesterday because I said the NASDAQ is much more deeply oversold here than uh, the markets. Now when I said the market the NASDAQ was deeply oversold I don't mean that it was oversold technically long term because again from a long term technical extension no the markets are still very overbought and, and we can see that if we take a 
a look at, say, a monthly long-term trend of the NASDAQ and looking at the overbought conditions in particular um, in the NASDAQ, we can still see that the market itself is still very overbought. Same thing for the NASDAQ. We haven't really uh, concluded that, that more extreme overbought condition in these markets. But in the short term, and particularly when we're talking about mon the money flow signal, right? This is the one we're watching in the short term just to try to determine the, the ebb and the flow of the market. That money flow sell signal has gotten back down to more extremely low levels, which have normally been a point where markets tend to really find some footing and we begin to get some outperformance over the S&P. So again, when we take a look at stocks like Apple and Microsoft and kind of the, the stocks that, that lead the NASDAQ, they've been under a tremendous amount of pressure. And the NASDAQ really hasn't done much this year, so to speak, um, really ever since the previous outperformance that we saw earlier this year, uh, earlier uh, last year and into January, February of this year, when those stocks were outperforming really ever since February, the NASDAQ really hasn't done much. It's just been a very big consolidation here. Semiconductors also look exactly the same way. When we take a look at the semiconductor index, exactly the same story. And this is kind of an interesting you know, dynamic because with semiconductors, there's a massive shortage of semiconductors. We're talking about the auto sales yesterday and what's going on with cars. And you know, whatever semiconductors that semiconductor companies can come up with, they're going to get sold uh, because <laughs> there's just not enough of those there. But semiconductors have been under a lot of pressure here lately. Again, that money flow signal again back to very very over uh, deep oversold conditions there which suggests that and again we're not out of the woods here just yet and there's certainly some more downside risk the 200 day on on the smh is uh, quite a ways away i mean there's still a fairly decent chance of a much bigger decline here but again with the depth of the signal the last time that these money flow signals were this oversold was back near the bottom of the previous trough in semiconductors. And we see the same thing here when we take a look at the NASDAQ as well. Again, the last time that we saw these types of, of deep oversold conditions um, back here was where the bottom of the NASDAQ was that began an outperformance period relative to the S&P. And so these are, these are just the things that we're looking for, trying to find where opportunities may exist. But also, this is, this is the point to where people start to kind of panic sell. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the markets are selling off. You know, I've, I've got to get out of the stock. I'm losing money. Be a little bit careful here because, again, we're going to be down again today. Uh, markets are not out of the woods just yet. We have not turned these money flow signals over yet. So it still suggests downward pressure on prices. How much lower can prices go? Don't be fooled here. There is a significant downside risk to the 200-day moving average, not outside the realm of possibility. We didn't make it there last time. Last time we had this type of sell-off, we only got about two-thirds of the way down towards the 200-day moving average. Didn't get there. Um, doesn't mean we'll get there this time, but there is risk to that level. So I don't want to delude you and say that, hey, there's no risk here. We are oversold here to a degree that suggests we may be getting closer to at least a short-term bottom in NASDAQ-type stocks. The S&P, not quite the same position because there's been a lot of rotation into the more of the inflationary sectors that reside in the S&P versus the NASDAQ. Energy companies, basic materials, industrials. Those stocks have gotten well ahead of themselves. There's been a big move in those positions really across the board. Some of those are very extended on the upside. So a rotation into underperforming stocks 
would certainly not be surprising, um, particularly as we get into kind of the, the ebb and the flow of the summer months as well. So again, these are the companies that still have the ability to generate earnings despite what's going on in the economy. And we'll talk some about that today because we're going to get into talking a little bit about the inflation story as well. That's going to be one of the bigger issues this year is what is this, the, the dynamic of that inflation? Is it less transitory than what the Federal Reserve thinks? I mean, Jerome Powell says, hey, don't worry about inflation. It's transitory. No big deal. It'll go away. Yeah, inflation in some of these areas is transitory. But it is the impact to the economy and the impact to consumption during that transitory spike that has everything to do with economic growth and earnings and corporate profits, et cetera. So again, certainly something we don't want to set aside and dismiss out of hand, um, particularly at this stage of the game. So uh, when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about you know, this idea of if everybody sees it's a bubble, doesn't mean it's still a bubble, right? There's this contrarian type of idea. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're going for the best on our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, May 22nd. The best accounts to save, the best accounts to invest. Investments are one thing. The vehicles you place them in can be quite another. Which are the best for you? Learn about the best types of accounts to save for health care, retirement, and emergency reserves on our next Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, Saturday, May 22nd. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It is, of course, uh, well, you know, Tuesday. <laughs> We're starting to work through the week already. <laughs> Almost got that momentum going. I know, right? Just slowly starting to speed up here a bit. So we'll best thing there. about Tuesday, it's not Monday, <laughs> right? But it's not Wednesday either. Well, it's true. So, uh, by the way, I heard Tim Tebow is going to come make a comeback into sports. Really? Yeah. Apparently, as a tight end, which he's never played before, ever. Mm-hmm. But they're going to bring him back. I think it's. Uh, and Russell can correct me. But I believe it's for the uh, Jaguars. Yeah. He's coming back to play. Okay. So, cool. I mean, he's been out of the game here for a while. So mm -hmm. I'm just, this is going to be kind of interesting. I know we're, I know we have a shortage of employees going on right now. People yeah. are staying home to work. Has it gotten into the case of football as well? <laughs> and, and people are, some people are screaming that they signed him, but they didn't sign Colin. Way. <laughs> what are we you will. doing? What are you doing over there? I've got tangles. <laughs> I'm just sitting. I'm sitting there going. I'm just not going to respond to that comment. Actually. <laughs> uh, anyway, so all right. So on the website, we've got a new article out this morning. Be ca called um, 
if if everybody sees it, is it still a bubble? This is kind of an interesting question because one of the things that you know you normally want to see um, as a contrarian investor is when everybody is sure that something is not one way or the other. In other words, you want to kind of go against the crowd. That's the whole point of contrarian investing and, you know, putting money to work in areas that everybody hates, right? Right now, everybody hates semiconductors and, you know, NASDAQ stocks, right? Might be an opportunity, right? That's what we're talking about just a minute ago. Uh, but that's kind of the function of contrarian investing. So if contrarianism means being opposite of the crowd, if everybody sees the bubble, is it really a bubble, right? And so there was an interesting chart that was on... Uh, Market Watch here recently talking about the rising concern about a stock market bubble. And this was this is basically the Google search trends focusing on stock market bubble. And of course, you can, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're showing the chart on our on our uh, our live video stream now. But since 2016, the number of searches have been relatively flat until about 2020. They spiked up a little bit in 2020. And then, of course, as we got towards the end of 2020 and we got, you know, uh, the, the election was past us, then those fell off sharply um, into November and December and then began to spike dramatically over the course of just the last really five months. We went from basically 10 on the index to over 30. So very large jump. Now, the issue, of course, is this kind of brings us back to this idea is that if it's a bubble, then and if everybody sees it, then it's probably not a bubble. And so you're probably you know fairly OK at this point. Um, but, you know, if we look back throughout history, you know, there's been a consistent kind of run of bubbles throughout the markets, whether, you know, if we go back to the late 70s when we were having spiking inflation, you know, we had we had a bubble in gold. Um, and then in you know the 19 early 1980s there was a bubble in the Japan uh, Japanese index called the Nikkei had a huge spike in that and then there was a bubble in Thailand of all places <laughs> and then we had the the tech bubble in the late 90s uh, we had the housing bubble in 2007 we had a, a bubble in China in two, really kind of late 2008 early 2009. And then, you know, we've had this biotech bubble that occurred in between 2011 and 2015 and may not even realize that that, that it occurred yet. Um, and then we've had really uh, over the last few years, in particular, this, this big bubble in disruptive technology, right? This whole shift that we've been talking about here recently, this whole shift to disruption. And, you know, this is by far the largest bubble of every bubble on record uh, in terms of looking at asset prices that run up abnormally and then crash. So when we take a look at these, you know, those are the, you know, there, there's certainly some evidence that there's a bubble in the market. I mean, take a look at crypt, what's going on with cryptocurrency, as a, et cetera. I mean, these new technologies, I mean, everybody's, you know, you've got to be in it or you're missing out. And uh, Netflix is an, uh, just started a new series um, called Startup, which is an interesting idea because I just started, I just watched the first episode yesterday. And it's interesting because it's talking about, you know, I'm not far enough into it to tell you what the whole thing's about yet. I'm only one episode, but the, the premise is basically you've got a guy that's laundering money for the mob and you've got a young girl that is starting up her own cryptocurrency and the guy that's laundering money for the mob needs a way to basically 
launderers money. And an easy way to do that without it getting seized by the government, theoretically, is through a digital currency. So hence a startup. So this is like breaking bad with microchips? Exactly. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, sorry for the spoiler. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not sure we're quite that far along yet. I just, you know, <laughs> Brian Cranston hasn't shown up just yet. So <laughs> in his tidy whiteies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see how this, how this all works out. But that's the idea, right? I mean, it's just we've had this massive bubble uh, over the course of the last really few years in this disruptive technology. And you know, the question is, what happens? Is this a new paradigm? Is this an actual bubble? Does it bust? You know, you know, these are the concerns that, you know, we certainly have to, to consider um, in this environment. And, you know, as we continue to kind of, of look through this structure and, and take a look at how investors are, in, are, are positioned and, of course, how, you know, people are approaching the markets, this is something that is certainly a differentiator that we haven't seen before. And uh, there was an interesting um, quote in the Wall Street Journal that um, talking about how, you know, experienced investors are now deemed to be out of touch with the markets. And we saw this recently at the, the Warren Buffett presentation for the Berkshire Hathaway uh, shareholders meeting. And, and he made, uh, Charlie Munger made some comments about cryptocurrency. It was like, okay, boomer, right? I mean, they're just immediately dismissed. But here was a quote from the Wall Street Journal. The big benefit of TikTok, which is one of these disruptive technologies, is it allows users to dole out and obtain information in short, easily digestible video bytes, also called TikToks. And that can make unfamiliar, complex topics such as personal finance and investing more palatable to a younger audience with very short attention spans. Sorry, editorial uh, adjustment there. Uh, that advice runs the gamut from general information about home buying or retirement savings to specific stock picks and investment ideas. Here was the clincher of that paragraph. Rob Shields, a 22-year-old self-taught options trader who has more than 163,000 followers on TikTok, posts TikToks under the username Stock Genius on topics such as popular stocks to watch, how to find good stocks, and basic trading strategies. 22-year-old self-taught in one of the most complicated games on the planet and 163,000 people taking advice from this person. And now, not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, we've been, when you have to think back here for just a second, this bull market, which has been fueled by a tremendous amount of Fed liquidity, zero interest rates, ultra accommodative monetary policy, really everywhere you look, and just a literal flood of money coming into the markets, started in 2009 after the financial crisis. So we've had this 12-year-old bull market well entrenched in process here. And pretty much throwing money into the market at any point has been a profitable venture because of all the liquidity. And we've now trained an entire generation of investors that says, well, you know, hey, if the Fed's put, if the Fed's back there, that's a guaranteed Fed put. So just as long as the Fed's involved, keep buying stocks. Has not been a wrong statement. 22 years old, do the math, subtract 12 for the bull market. He was 10 years old when the bull market started. Um, and, and there's nothing, again, nothing wrong with this, but 
assuming that he is a self-taught options trader, you assume that he probably started when he's 18, so the last three years, uh, four years uh, in the markets, which have been a, a just a liquidity fuel dump. Uh, between cuts in taxes as as well as just a massive amount of Fed liquidity. So experience is always an important teacher in these type of environments. And until you go through a bear market, you don't really understand how or where the risk in your investment strategy are. Um, you, you know, unfortunately for investing, it is easy to cover up investing mistakes on the way up in a bull market. And yes, I know that sounds like an okay boomer statement, but <laughs> the point is, is that when markets are liquidity fueled as they are now, and there's lots of speculation, you can make a lot of investing mistakes. You can buy stuff that shouldn't work that does simply because it's all going up at the same time. The question becomes is, or, or I should say where the, problems with your investment strategy are revealed are during a bear market. And that's where really a lot of these things really come home to roost, you know, very quickly. So, and, there, and there's plenty of analogies, right, uh, that, that really go on this. I mean, you know, take doggy coin, it was created as a joke and has no fundamental value. And, you know, this is, um, <laughs> you know, something that we have seen skyrocket 12,000% this year, right? I mean, it's just gone straight up and, um, it, and investors were making a lot of money. I saw I, I saw a video clip yesterday. It showed a, a line of Lamborghinis driving down the street. It was actually some Lamborghinis going onto a car show, right? But somebody filmed it and says, hey, it's all my dog, doggy coin buddies <laughs> that just cashed in, right? All right, we'll see. But... You know, investors are flocking to it simply because it's sharp rise. There's no other fundamental reason for buying it. But that's the attitude. That's what's going on within the index as a whole. So the problem becomes this issue of what happens ultimately in the markets. And just because everybody may see it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a bubble. Be right back after the break. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. We're going for the best on our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, May 22nd. The best accounts to save, the best accounts to invest. Investments are one thing. The vehicles you place them in can be quite another. Which are the best for you? Learn about the best types of accounts to save for health care, retirement, and emergency reserves on our next Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, Saturday, May 22nd. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. It's uh, 6.33. Talk a little bit about if it's a bubble, does everybody and everybody ceases? Is it still a bubble? And the answer is really kind of yes. And because market bubbles are built out of sentiment, 
And just because people may recognize that it's a bubble doesn't mean that it shift has been a shift in sentiment. One way to kind of look at this is as of the end of April, the National Association of Investment Managers, which, you know, is kind of the professional side of investors, had a 103% exposure to stocks. Now, that's not the highest level on record, but it's, it's one of the higher ones. And again, nothing wrong with that. Um, but this is just a function of investors chasing markets and not just professionals. It's also happening with individuals, of course, hedge funds, everybody else. So, you know, it's, and this is, you know, one of those things where every, kind of everybody's in the pool and nobody's, uh, everybody is afraid of, of not being in the stock market, right? It's the fear of missing out, which is driving people to take on increasing levels of risk to try to chase returns in the overall market. And another way we can take a look at that is looking at margin debt balances. We talked about this on the show previously, but margin debt is now at an all-time record. Um, people are not only investing in the market, just as we saw with the, uh, the National Association of Investment Managers, they've got 103% exposure to stocks, right? So they have to be buying something on margin in order to have more than 100% of stocks, right? So margin debt, not surprisingly, between individuals, institutions, hedge funds, et cetera, has reached an all-time record. But it's not just the fact that you've got record levels of margin debt, even though going back through history, peak levels of margin debt have been the precursor of larger meltdowns in the markets, whether it was the you know decline in 2018 with the Fed hiking interest rates, uh, Brexit in 2015-2016, the financial crisis 2008, dot-com crash in 99. All those have been partly fueled. Even the 2020 meltdown um, was partly fueled by the sell-off, which was exacerbated by the unwinding of some of the leverage. So again, we have an extreme amount of leverage. This is where the risk comes from. But it's not just, again, it's not just the total amount of leverage that's important. It's the rate at which leverage is increasing which is much more important because, again, the markets are bigger, right? We have more participants in the market. So having more leverage in the market is not surprising. So just because we have more leverage isn't the issue. The issue is the rate of increase in the leverage in a very short time span. And this is, the, this is more of a sign of the exuberance of investors, you know, wanting to get in and, and leverage up and take on more risk. And the only time that we ever see these types of sharp increases in leverage are near more notable events in markets. That doesn't mean tomorrow. Now, let me be really clear about this, right? Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to start having a massive unwinding of the markets tomorrow and have a big crash. You know, as we talked about before, margin debt's like gasoline. Um, I can take a can of gasoline and I can store it safely. Not next to the water heater, <laughs> but I can store it safely. The only time that a can of gasoline becomes a danger is when it's introduced to a catalyst, right? A water heater, a match, house fire, etc. When that catalyst combines with the gasoline, that's where your problem occurs. And so 
you know, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, we got record margin debt. So what? It just means that people are, are, are pushing asset prices higher and leverage helps move prices higher because it increases buying power. Absolutely correct. Nothing wrong with that statement. But it also works in reverse. And when you start getting the decline in stocks, the unwinding of that leverage, especially when there's what's called a margin call and and, and this is one of the risks of margin. And if you're on margin, don't really understand what you've done. You've borrowed against an asset that has a collateral value to it. So in a lot of cases, you get 50% collateral in your account for your equities. So if you have a $100,000 account, you can margin up to $150,000. The problem becomes when the prices of your underlying collateral decline because you can only have a 50% leverage. So if the value of my account goes from 100,000 to 90,000, I can only have $45,000 worth of leverage now, which means I've got to go sell something. I'm going to get a margin call saying, "Hey, you're over leveraged. You need to sell some of your stuff." So now I've got to sell some stuff in my account to reduce that leverage. Well, if I go for, if I have to sell $10,000 worth of stocks, I go from 90 to 80 to meet my margin call. Now my margin is only $40,000, which means I get another margin call that says, "Oh, you've got to sell some more." So I sell some more. And there becomes the inherent problem of margin. In a market where prices are declining, you're getting margin calls forcing you to sell as prices are declining, which means you've got to sell more to keep meeting larger demands on margin calls. And it's a forced liquidation cycle. That's what happened to Archigo just recently. We saw him blow up lots of leverage. Leverage is fine until somebody throws a match in the gas can. Then you have a problem. And that's what we potentially have the risk of in the markets today. Not saying that that's absolutely going to be the case, but it's something that is certainly worth concerning. And look, and it's not just margin debt. So here's the other problem is that when we take a look at margin debt, we're just assuming that that's all the leverage there is in the markets, but that's not the case. So while we've got this exceptionally large amount of margin debt, and these are people that have borrowed against their accounts, to take on more risk, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. There's also a whole nother level of leverage in the markets of people that are buying leveraged ETFs, which doesn't require them to go into margin debt to do that. I can take my account, my $100,000 account as an example, and I can buy triple levered ETFs. So now I've got exposure to $300,000 worth of stocks, even though I didn't take on any leverage directly in my account. So we have a whole nother level of leverage in the market that's not even showing up in margin debt. Then that doesn't include the leverage that people get by buying options, which is a different type of leverage. But that's all the same. It all works the same way. And when prices begin to unwind, things can go bad very, very quickly. And that's what leads to a very sharp reversion in markets at some point caused by a catalyst. Now, again, I want to be really clear about this. There's nothing wrong with leverage as long as buyers are continuing to buy into the markets. It is ultimately when they stop buying because of some catalyst 
whatever it is, credit event, economic event, somebody just holding their hands up and saying, I'm out. You never know what occurs. But these happen regularly throughout history, and it's those reversions that tend to become much more dramatic. And, you know, it, it's not just a, a recent thing. I mean, this goes back, we can go all the way back in history, to, you know, 1900. And, you know, we saw the same type of events and setups in a lot of the technical indicators as well as margin debts, et cetera, all throughout history. Whereas there was a panic of 1907, most people don't know there was a depression in, in 1920. You know, 19, and, and, you know, before we got into the, you know, the massive run between 1921 and 1929, there was a, a very large meltdown in the markets between 1907 in 1919, the markets declined sharply for years, and investors were devastated by it. Then you had the big run-up to 1929. Then you had the echo crash in 1934. Then you had the end of World War I as you got through the end of the Depression. Then you had a great run of the markets until the 1960s, and you had three bear markets right in a row. Right, you had a, a bear market in 1965. You had another one in 1968, had an, and then of course the big crash in 1974. Crash of '87.com crash, financial crisis, long-term capital management. I mean, go through history, right? There's just tons of these examples, but all these things had the same type of similarities involved, and just because people may have realized that, you know what, we might be in a bubble. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't have Google to go search Google search trends back to 1974. But people recognized that there was a bubble, but it doesn't mean that that avoided the consequence of the ultimate unwinding. Now, again, let me be really clear about this. Am I saying that there's a bubble today? Yeah, there is clearly a bubble in the market today. You have the sentiment, you've got the leverage, you've got everything in place to constitute a market bubble. Does that mean that it's going to burst tomorrow and you're about to go through another period of devastating losses? No, that's not what that means at all. The funny thing about bubbles is, is that a bubble can remain inflated for quite some time. And this is why you have to be aware that it exists and understand that it can also last a lot longer than you think it can because you have to navigate it. But eventually, at some point, you also have to realize that this will begin a reversal of magnitude. Whether it's this year or next year or five years from now, whatever it is that causes it, it will lead to more devastating losses over time. And this is why we talk about why forward returns over the next decade will be low is because the unwinding of this bubble will lead to low long-term returns over the next decade. All right. It's on the website today, though. Get by the website. If it's a bubble and everybody sees it, is it really a bubble? It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back after the break. We'll wrap up the show. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. 
We're going for the best on our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, May 22nd. The best accounts to save, the best accounts to invest. Investments are one thing. The vehicles you place them in can be quite another. Which are the best for you? Learn about the best types of accounts to save for health care, retirement, and emergency reserves on our next Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, Saturday, May 22nd. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. This is a public service announcement brought to you by The Real Investment Show in conjunction with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Things you won't hear Texans say. I'd like to find a marble statue of Joe Biden holding Kamala Harris in that Titanic pose. George Strait, how about you play some real country music, right? One for me, two for the government. Let's take these wild hogs and make them our pets. Things you won't hear Texans say. We now return you to our regular program. You know, thinking about that, things that you don't hear Texans say, my, uh, my wife works for a company that uh, sells LNG. And... Uh, one of her people that she works with, they're, they're kind of spread out all across the country, but one of the people she works with lives up in Seattle. <laughs> so they're on a conference call the other day, and he makes the comment. He's like, you know, I says, I really don't understand you Texans, right? You go out and you shoot deer, you eat deer, you eat possum. And my wife says, wait, wait, <laughs> we eat possum? And he's like, yeah, I see it all the time. Y'all are over there eating possum in Texas. She goes, no, we don't eat possum. We eat raccoons. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) because raccoons are meaner. Exactly. They've got hands, creepy little hands. Opposable thumbs. He even said, he says, what, y'all eat those animals that look like bandits? So she's going to buy a stuffed raccoon oh, yeah. <laughs> to put on her desk the next time they have a conference call. She but, should wear one of those Davy Crockett hats. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna torture this poor mm. guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, things you don't see or do in Texas. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, when <laughs> uh, I used to live in, uh, I lived in Spain for a couple of years. And, and while I was living in Spain, this was back in the 90s, and I had this pair of, white snakeskin boots and of course you know being from texas i wore my boots a lot and of course when uh, i'd walk around people were just in spain they were just infatuated with americans first of all they love america and the second thing is is they love texans they just have an absolute adoration for texans because they believe that everybody literally has a well an oil well in their backyard and cattle and horses and we all ride horses to work. I mean, this is, you know, what they thought, at least back then. I may have changed by now, but back then. And so it's, you know, they would ask me about, you know, how'd you get those? And this is this white python snakeskin, right? Very pretty boot. How'd you get that? It's like, oh, you know, I, uh, in, in Texas, you know, we have a, a boot company that says, you kill it, we make it. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the story. And they were infatuated by I like story. that story. Yeah. yeah. So, Road, roadkill boots. <laughs> so, you know, that could be a thing. It could be a thing. could be a thing. Uh, I want to wrap up our conversation just a second ago, uh, talking about market bu- uh, market bubbles and seeing it. You know, it's, you know, 
as I started out the conversation saying, you know, young investors are very quick. And again, because they're now focused on TikTok where they can get their information in one minute sound bites. And, you know, some guy on on TikTok says, hey, I bought this. I made a bunch of money. So they run in and buy it, i.e. Dogecoin, right? Doggycoin, however you want to pronounce it. So, you know, that's what's going on in the markets right now. That's just a, a function of people following people who really don't have any experience. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's where millennials are quick to dismiss, you know, older investors as, okay, boomer. Because we don't get it, right? We don't understand cryptocurrency and we don't understand, you know, this disruptive technology that's going on. No, we get it, right? We understand it. It's just that we understand also how these things eventually end because we've lived through them before, right? We've had these experiences. We've done this. We've chased the internet stocks. We chased the dot-com stocks when Warren Buffett didn't understand it, right? And we paid the price for it. We chased the real estate bubble when people didn't get it and paid the price for it. So we've done this repeatedly you know, throughout our history. And, you know, it's not any different this time. It's not because we're boomers. It's not because, you know, anything else. And it's just that this is a function of how markets work. It's a mar- uh, Markets are about psychology. And eventually that psychology reverses for one reason or the other. The Fed hikes rates. There's a reduction in liquidity. There's a credit crisis. There's a war. Could be anything. But that's what causes the problem, ultimately. Anyway, all right, so just want to wrap that up. Um, Bloomberg uh, is out with a report yesterday talking about the sad state of affairs of the U.S. military. <laughs> you know, this is something that, that we've talked about here on the show quite often is that, you know, Americans are indeed the best at a few things, and one of those is being obese. <laughs> so <laughs> we're number one. Um Now this is actually starting to affect the military. Uh, The Army, and this is from Bloomberg, the Army, the U.S. military's largest service, faces a complex set of problems. The eligible recruiting pool into all military services is small. And the newest generation of prospects, Generation Z. Now, these are the individuals between the ages of 17 and 24 right now, right? Prime recruiting group to go into the military because they want young people, not old people. Okay, boomer. Um... Gen Z has had almost no contact not, or knowledge of the military. Kind of interesting when you think about the fact that they're all playing video games like Warzone with Call of Duty. But, you know, we'll see that different, different story. Um, the Gen Z cohort grew up with technology, the Internet and social media. So they've come out with a new video, right, that's uh, featuring different individuals of different races and ethnicities and, and uh, genders to promote the U.S. military. And it's called The Calling as, as their new uh, their thing. And now, this is the interesting thing about this. According to the report, almost 71% of 17 to 24-year-olds, think about that for a moment, 71% of 17 to 24-year-old individuals Now, think about the household they grew up in and what they've been doing for the last 17 to 24 years, right? 
that and that's roughly 24 million out of 34 million people in that age bracket. They are ineligible to join the military because of obesity, lack of a high school diploma, or a criminal record. That's pretty amazing. I mean, first of all, in a society where you think that most everybody now is getting a high school diploma, I mean, pretty much it's required you go to school and get a high school diploma, but 71% of individuals are either too obese, lack a high school diploma, which is all you need to go into the military for a career, or they have a criminal record. That's a pretty stunning statistic. You know, if this was, you know, if this was 20% or, you know, 18% or 25%, you'd probably say, yeah, that's statistically about the right amount of people. 71%? Crazy. So they're spending about $425 million on marketing with the goal of recruiting 60 to 70,000 active duty soldiers, 40 to 45,000 National Guardsmen, and 13 to 17,000 members to, uh, to, uh, to the reserves. The recruits are going to be served a content on YouTube of a 15-second trailer. If they watch at least 10 seconds, think about these time frames, okay? If they watch 10 seconds, they will see a two- to three-minute episode of the recruiting cartoon followed by an invitation to hop over to the Army's website. Here's the quote. Gen Z flips through social media like it's an Olympic sport. And in order to get them to stop their thumbs for a few seconds, you've got to surprise them. This is from Major General Alex Fink, the Army's chief of enterprise marketing. The calling has a much more different look and feel than anything else that we've done in the Army. And nobody in the military has done anything like this by serving up this cartoon to recruit for the military. But I like the line. They flip through social media like it's an Olympic sport. And it's true, right? You cannot keep their attention. They all suffer from ADD. <laughs> I don't know what this means for the future, but... 71%? 71% like a high school diploma, have a criminal record, or obese. I'm going to say something that's not very PC, right? but that is a failed generation. There's definitely a problem. Um, again, if, 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 the, if the statistics were 20 to 25 percent, yeah. you'd say, OK, I can probably make an, you know, a guess that that's, you know, a third is obese and, you know, a, a fifth or, you know, lack of high school. Seventy one percent is a pretty phenomenal number. I don't know. How, now, I don't know how how accurate that number is. This is from the military. Right. So they do surveys. They do all this type of stuff. And. But they're, you know, they, they do get applicants that they reject as 4F on a regular basis for a lot of reasons. And, you know, there's, you know, 71% is a large number. And I think that's something that definitely is notable when you start thinking about the future of the economy. And because this is the next generation that have to come up to take the jobs of the millennials, right? So as the millennials get older... They need people below them to come into the workforce to work and to participate and create and do what is necessary to support them in retirement, right? You, you still have to feed the Social Security beast down the road. The social welfare that we continue to expand, which is now 42% of disposable incomes, highest level on record ever in history, that beast has to be fed by the working class Americans doesn't bode well when 71% of them 
or in the current state that they're in. So anyway, wrap up the show for the day, of course. And we'll be back tomorrow for the Wednesday edition, the hump day edition of the Real Investment Show. Get by the website. Our article this morning is out, which is talking about if it's a bubble and everybody sees it, is it still a bubble? That's on the website now with all the, you know, attendant charts and graphs as usual as well to support the data. All on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on our YouTube link, our newsletter link, and our latest newsletter. Of course, our daily podcast, three minutes on markets and money. It's all there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.